0: I've asked a few friends to help me partly because i think it's fun mostly because i think they're awesome this is jacob jacob is a senior at hope college a nursing student he and i played intramural basketball together at hope just before covid basically blocked all of our shots he's a byron center boy with a jumper that'll break your heart and this is his friend emma when i say friends you know what i'm talking about she's a nursing student as well Her heart is gold, her mind is curious, her spirit is faithful, and they're both willing to help us out. We've been crawling our way through John's gospel from his Christmas announcement, the word became flesh, all the way up to his Easter proclamation, we have seen the Lord. We're going to pick up the pace over the next several weeks as we journey through John's gospel together. I'd recommend finding a friend and over the next several months reading it together. Or maybe grabbing a journal and jotting down your questions and curiosities. Send them my way. Maybe you and I could go for a walk together. Or maybe just start a Bible study. Start a Bible study with some friends in your neighborhood. A couple of voices I'd recommend. N.T. Wright, John for Everyone. Leslie Newbegin, The Light Has Come. They're both phenomenal. For now, we're going to gather around one of those stories that seems to be pretty well known both inside Christian circles and outside of them. And at the same time, no one really knows what to do with. It's the story of Jesus turning over the tables in the temple. An irate Jesus. An indignant Jesus. A frustrated Jesus, passionate for his father's house turns over the tables in the temple, pours out the coins of the money changers. We'll get to the story in a minute, but first Emma and Jacob are going to help us out. Emma's going to read for us from a 20th century journalist named Malcolm Mugridge. These lines at least are attributed to him. This will wake you up in the morning. We look back upon history, and what do we see? Empires rising and falling, revolutions and counter-revolutions. Wealth accumulating and wealth dispersed, one nation dominant and then another. Behind the debris of self-styled, sullen superhumans and imperial diplomatists, there stands the gigantic figure of one person. Because of whom, by whom, in whom and through whom alone, humankind might still have hope. The person of Jesus Christ. I love that. Way to go, Emma, thank you very much. And now Jacob is going to read for us from a pastoral hero of mine, an English pastor named John Stott, who wrote a book titled The Living Church. Listen to this. An unchurched Christian is a grotesque anomaly. The New Testament knows nothing of such a person. For the church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It is not a divine afterthought. It is not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community. Well done, Jacob. Christ as hope of the world, the church as new community. Now listen to the story of Jesus turning over the tables. When the festival of the Jews was near, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling sheep, cattle, And doves and money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out, both sheep and cattle, and poured out the coins of the money changers. He said to the people selling doves, get these out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews said to him, What sign can you show us for doing these things? Jesus said, Tear down the temple, and in three days I will raise it up. They said to him, This temple's been under construction 46 years, and you'll raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered his words, and they believed Scripture and all that Jesus had spoken. During the festival of Passover, many people began to believe in his name because they saw the signs that he was doing. But for Jesus' part, he entrusted himself to no one because he knew all people and needed no one to testify about anyone because he knew what was in everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's John chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. That's one of the stories we love to borrow when we're mad. When we're upset and we're about to execute on our anger. After all, Jesus did turn over the tables in the temple. This is one of those stories we love to quote when someone does something or some organization or some church does something we don't like. We get angry, we get upset, and someone's going to pay for it. After all, Jesus did overturn the tables in the temple. This is one of those stories we love to borrow when we're about to act on our anger, because after all, Jesus did turn over the tables in the temple. Mostly, the picture the Gospels paint of Jesus is a kind, gracious, generous human being with so much space for all kinds of people. I'm thinking of the blind beggar on the side of the road who the crowd was trying to silence, but Jesus, Jesus has space. Jesus stands still and says so generously, what can I do for you? Or I'm thinking of the woman beaten down by life, beaten down by the religiously powerful, the woman caught in adultery. Jesus shows up next to her, kneels beside her. Jesus says so graciously, I don't condemn you. I'm thinking of Jesus in his hour of desperation with the pain of his life piercing his soul, hanging on the cross. He cries out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus has so much space for so many people. But here, on this day, as the festival of the Passover was drawing near, He goes up to the temple and He overturns the tables and He pours out the coins. Jesus turning over the tables, which of the fruit of the Spirit is that? Love, joy, peace, patience, and anger? Jesus turning over the tables, how does that line up with the command that you love one another? Just as I have loved you, you also ought to love one another. Jesus turning over the tables in the temple, How does that sit with Jesus on his knees washing the feet of the disciples? Jesus turning over the tables in the temple. Jesus angry. Jesus irate. Sometimes we use this story to justify our own anger, after all. And other times we just dismiss it. It doesn't seem to fit in with the overall life of Jesus' gracious presence. It's not meant to be used to justify or dismissed as contradictory but an invitation into something more something so beautiful their lives had been reduced their vision had been blurred the temple if i can borrow from nt Wright in that book i think you should buy the temple was the beating heart of judaism it wasn't just a church on a street corner It was the center of worship and music, of politics and society, of national celebration and mourning. It was the place where Israel's God had promised to live. It was the focal point of the nation, the temple. The temple was a big deal. There were synagogues all over Israel, places where people could go to practice their religious convictions, but the temple, the temple was unique. The temple was special. The temple was sacred. The temple is where the big God chose to live. The creating God chose to dwell. The God who spoke worlds into existence with a word chose to reside in the temple. The temple is where God's vision of what will be one day, his redeeming purpose is finally realized, and people from every language and tribe and nation all gather around the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. That vision flowed from and returned to the temple. The temple was a big deal, and Jesus shows up to the temple. He shows up to that sacred space, intoxicated with the glory of God and consumed by the by a passion for God's purposes for the whole world, willing to give up his own life to both show the big God and to accomplish the better purposes. But what he sees is more like a barnyard scene. Sheep and cattle, goats and doves, it's something more like a 4-H fair than a sacred space of the temple. Now, to be fair, all of the cattle, all of the sheep and goats and the doves, they were actually a generous concession to these travelers who were coming from all over the world. Especially all over Israel, traveling mile on top of mile to make their sacrifice, to appease the God, to atone for their sins. And then they'd get to the temple, then they could buy a goat, they could buy the sacrificial animal. What a generous thing to offer. It cost them a little bit, but at least it was there. And the money changers, they were a generous concession too, really, actually. They're coming from so many different places, so many different regions, with so many different currencies. How are they gonna buy the goat or the dove to pay, to offer the sacrifice to pay for their sins, unless there's a money changer, so they would change their currency. Actually, a generous concession. John, the other Gospel writers critique maybe the practices of the money changers and the people selling animals. John's less interested. John realizes the barnyard scene is not so much about economic disparity and more about a reduced life, a blurred vision. They were no longer intoxicated with the glory of God and consumed with a passion for God's purposes for the world, but rather it was all used as an apparatus of organized religion to prop up economic, social, and political systems. And Jesus wants nothing to do with it. Jesus is going to overturn the tables. The temple cannot be used for a purpose contrary to what it's intended, to pursue God's heart, to pursue God's presence, to pursue God's vision for the whole world. Now, I'm not now critiquing organized religion. It's a necessity. Anytime anyone holds a conviction and wants to exercise it, they organize themselves. Even if you were to say, I'm not into church, I'm just gonna spend some time with Jesus out in the woods on a Sunday morning, we can talk about that later, whatever, you've just organized yourself. This is not a critique of the act of organizing. It's the use of the organization to prop up something other than what it was intended for. They were using the temple. Now, the church is not the temple. But it is the apparatus of organized religion. And the church cannot be used for purposes contrary to its intention. Or the tables will be overturned. If I can push a little bit. When the church is used as a voting block, tables should be overturned. When the church is used as a, as a marketing demographic, tables should be overturned. When the church is used to prop up systems of power, tables should be overturned. When the church is used to conceal our prejudices and condone our biases, tables should be overturned. When the church is used, period, tables should be overturned. If you know what I'm saying, I'll stand with Martin Luther King Jr. on this one. The church must be reminded that it is not the master or the servant of the state, but rather the conscience of the state. It must be the guide and the critic of the state, and never its tool. Never its tool. Never its tool. Never to be used. When the festival of the Passover of the Jews was near, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling sheep, cattle, and doves and money changers seated at their tables, making a whip of cords. He drove all of them out, both sheep and cattle, and poured out the coins of the money changers. He said to those selling doves, Get these out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. When I served the church out west in Washington, the northwest, uh, north, Northwest, Whidbey Island, just 50 miles north of Seattle, where the trees walk and the animals talk. Every year, we held the annual holiday bazaar. Every November. Up until that point in my life, the word bazaar meant something strange or odd. And after that point in my life, the definition holds up. All year long, people from the church would collect Items from craft fairs, and they'd take things out of their attics and remove things from their basement storages and from their garages. And they'd bring them to the church in November, and they laid them on tables, and all of a sudden they were worth so much more. And people would come from all over the community, and even off-island, they'd come to the church's Holiday Bazaar to buy these things. And the church would, would take in tens of thousands of dollars every year. And we donate it to missionaries and mission agencies all across the world. One annual holiday bazaar, a person came up to me. I can't quite remember now if it was a member of the church or if it was just one of the consumers looking to buy the wares. But he said to me, what do you think of all this? I I said to him, "I, I think it's quite bizarre. He didn't really find my brilliant humor so funny. He said, have you read the Gospels? And I sensed a trap, but I bit anyway. I said slowly, yeah, actually I have. He said, doesn't this look to you like a marketplace? I said to him, no, actually that never crossed my mind. Jesus is not critiquing raising money to support missionaries and mission agencies. Jesus is critiquing a reduced life, a blurred vision, using the temple in that case, and to make it contemporary the church now, to prop up systems of economic, political, and social power. Jesus has nothing to do with it. He'll turn the tables over. If I can borrow from Leslie Newbegin. The action of Jesus is more than an example of prophetic protest against corrupt religion. It is the sign of the end of religion. And the Jews feel threatened. They actually were being threatened. They say to Jesus, What sign can you show us for doing these things? And Jesus says, Destroy the temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. They said to him, This temple's been under construction 46 years, and you'll raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. He was speaking of the temple of his body. Jesus was announcing in that table turning story, pouring out the coins of the money changers. Jesus was announcing he's the new temple. Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the place God chooses to dwell. The big God who made the worlds with a word dwells in Jesus Christ. The purposes of God, the vision of God to redeem all things one day, to finally make all things new, is accomplished through Jesus Christ. He's the temple. That's why I liked that Malcolm Mugridge quote Emma read for us just a bit ago. We look back upon history and what do we see? Empires rising and falling, revolutions and counter-revolutions, wealth accumulating and wealth dispersed, one nation dominant and then another. Behind the debris of self-styled, sullen superhumans and imperial diplomatists, there stands the gigantic figure of one person, because of whom, by whom, in whom and through whom alone humankind might still have hope. The person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Jesus Christ is the one in whom the big God dwells, through whom the better purposes of God are being accomplished. If you want to hear from Calvin on the matter, this is from the Institutes. We see that our whole salvation and all its parts are comprehended in Christ. We should therefore take care not to derive the least portion of it from anywhere else. If we seek salvation, we're taught by the very name of Jesus, it's of Him. If we seek any other gifts of the Spirit, they'll be found in His anointing. If strength in His dominion, if purity in His conception, if gentleness in His birth... If redemption in his passion, if acquittal in his condemnation, if remission of the curse in his cross, if satisfaction in sacrifice, if purification in his blood, if reconciliation in his descent into hell, if mortification of the flesh in his tomb, if newness of life in his resurrection, in short, since rich store of every kind of good abound in him, let us drink our fill from this fountain and from no other, Jesus Christ is the new temple. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. The big God dwells in him. The better purposes of God accomplished through him. And just as Christ overturned the tables when they tried to use the temple, he'll overturn tables now when we tries to u- try to use him. Try to use him to get whatever we want. To prop up our systems of power. To be manipulated and exploited by social pressures and political means to accomplish a contrary agenda. Jesus will turn the tables over. He's the hope of the world. He's the new temple. And we're a new community. A new community invited to surrender our lives for the person and purposes of Jesus Christ. We love the Jesus who says, come to me and I'll give you rest. But we're not sure what to do with the Jesus who says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. We love the Jesus who forgives us our sins. But don't know at all what to do with the Jesus who invites us the way of the cross. We love the Jesus who kneels next to us, puts his arm around us and says, I don't condemn you, but we're not sure what to do with the Jesus who says, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. As a new community, we witness to a watching world the better way of Jesus Christ. We cannot be used for purposes contrary. Jesus will turn the tables over. Don't let your lives be reduced. Don't let your vision be blurred. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. The church is its new community. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. The hope of the world broke bread and said to his disciples, this is my body given for you. The hope of the world poured out the cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins, the meal for the new community to be nourished and nurtured to witness to the better way if you believe that Jesus is Lord and you acknowledge him as your savior, you're welcome to partake in this sort of virtual way. Maybe you have wine and bread ready or even juice and crackers. If you're not at that place, if you wouldn't consider yourself a part of the Christian story or wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, this isn't meant to be awkward for you. I'd love it if you'd take some time to consider your hesitations, your questions, your resistance. If you'd be willing then, maybe... To reach out to me, we could have a conversation. My email is john, j-o-n at pillarchurch.com, or you could even just call the office and we'll set up a time to be together. Come as you're ready.